I appreciate you doing this. It's actually, it's going to work out, I think, really well. I got a question about Bible translations. I knew that was going to happen once everything was done and we moved on from translations. I'd get a question. But it's a really good question, and I felt like it's worth addressing, but it's kind of longer than... It's not long enough to really be a lesson on its own, but it's too long to just, like, spend a minute or two. So um, the question I got was, do some modern translations remove gender distinctions? And the answer that I'm going to give to that is, yeah, sort of. But let's take a couple of minutes to, to think about the good parts and the bad parts of that. There, there is a move in some, certainly not all, but in some modern translations to use what they would call gender-inclusive language. That's the term they would use, gender-inclusive. Um, people who really hate the idea, they would call it gender-neutral or de-genderifying the Bible. Um, but let's to give you an example. I think you've got on uh, your notes there some examples. Colossians 1.28, the King James Version, says, Whom we preach... Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. The English Standard Version of that verse says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, what have they done there by taking the every man and changing it to everyone? Um, it isn't a nefarious plan to remove gender distinctions from the Bible, the goal isn't to change something that's gender specific into uh, gender neutral. The goal is to take a passage which uses a term like man or men, or sometimes it's a pronoun like he. Um, you realize in English we don't really have a singular pronoun that's not gender specific, right? It's either he, him, or she, her. Um, sometimes I'll use they, but technically, you know, for, for English-loving people, that's not technically right because it's talking about more than one individual, right? So there, there are some difficulties with translating from one language to another. And this, these terms like man, sometimes it's used in the sense of mankind or in the sense of all people. And so there is a move among some of the modern translations to take like that Greek word anthropos, which any Greek lexicon is going to tell you that it means man, but we also understand that the, that term man is used in the sense of mankind or all people. After all, if you take, a, if you take an anthropology class in college and it doesn't tell you anything about women, you should take a different anthropology class because they're kind of important. You know, so there's a move among some of those translations to be more gender-inclusive in language. The goal is to make it clear when a passage uses a male term, as is the custom of that day, but clearly intends to be inclusive of all people. So another example would be Acts 17, verse 30, where God commands all men everywhere to repent. We understand He's not just called males to repent. He's called all men as in the sense of all people. And so modern translations are going to say something like God commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, I will say some modern translations, some modern versions, um, like the New King James Version, doesn't really add any of this kind of thing at all. The English Standard Version does it sometimes, 
the NIV probably does it more than any other of what I would say is a reliable translation. And that makes sense because of where they are on that. If you remember that sliding scale of literal to paraphrase and they're getting more thought for thought, it makes sense that they would be more interested in doing that while the more literal ones would keep um, gender distinctive terms. Um, there are some versions which have gone so full in on gender inclusivity, right? Some of those paraphrase Bibles, I listed a couple, the NLT and the CEB, the Common English Bible, that they've gone too far, right? The Common English Bible, for example, translates the term son of man as the human one. You know, and I, and I think that's probably gone too far for, for what's intended by the text. But a couple other examples, Psalm 1.1, New King James Version said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The NIV changes man to one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Um, Another example would be from 1 John, the very chapter that we were in this morning. Um, Thought of it because I've been reading it a lot lately. But the King James Version says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren, whereas the NIV changes that brethren to brothers and sisters. Because I think, you know, is that change from a male gender term to an inclusive term a reasonable translation of the text? Well, Goodness, I hope so, because if you remember, that's how I preached it. I talked about what we need to do with our brothers and sisters, right? But a different question would be, is it necessary to do that in order to show the spirit-intended meaning of the text? You know, is this kind of change necessary to move toward gender-inclusive language? And that's going to be a matter of a lot of debate between a lot of different people. My own, my own answer to that personally is I don't think so. I, I, I do think that maybe a hundred years ago the use of a masculine term was more uh, readily understood as applying to all people than, than it is maybe today understood that way. But my feeling is, is that we haven't lost that yet. I, I would hope that most people who read God commands all men everywhere to repent would understand this is not just males, it is mankind, you know, although there are times where I think we adult males need it more than most. Um, Just kidding. I'm not, personally, I'm not a fan of this trend, but I'm also not up in arms about it. Um, What you're not going to find from any uh, of the mainstream evangelical Bible translations and I try to say mainstream evangelical because goodness knows there's some weird Bible translations out there. There's the emoji Bible. I don't know what you're going to find in that. I've not studied it. You know. But for the mainstream ones, what you're going to find is they're not going to go overboard with this to the point of, of using something silly like replacing God the Father with God the Parent. Right? That would be that would be a problem. 
Um, they aren't taking passages where there are clear gender distinctions intended and removing those in order to be politically correct. Now, there, there are translations that do that. The, the NLT and the CEB, I think, are, are bowing to political correctness. Okay? But the goal of the other translations is generally just to be understandable. So to give you an example, the, the translations maintain gender role distinctions. I thought, okay, what's a passage of scripture everybody's heard that has some very gender distinctive words in it? Um, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, the New King James Version, that the woman... Learn in silence with all subjections, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. The ESV says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. The NIV, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Look, they're not trying to be politically correct there, clearly. Right? Those are things that are offensive to the culture. They're not trying to get rid, they're not trying to stop offending the culture. They're trying to make sure that the people in the culture understand the meaning of the text. And if the meaning of the text is offensive to the culture, so be it. That's how God intended it. Right? So none of those are particularly liberal translations of the word. Um, the change toward gender-inclusive language, in my opinion, again, is not really necessary. But it's also not an attempt to alter scripture to satisfy culture. It's just a different of opinion on how these ought to be translated. Now, the one other thing I want to note before we finish this is a lot of times the folks in the King James-only camp will use this as a example of, well, see, this you can't trust a modern translation because the King James Version keeps all the gender distinctive words. But it doesn't. And the, the modern translations that are getting the idea for using gender-inclusive terms may have gotten that idea from the King James translators because um, over 600 times in the Old Testament, the King James uses children of Israel when the Hebrew says benai Yisrael, which is sons of Israel, you can look at, um, maybe my favorite example of that is Exodus 1, 1 through 4, where it's actually literally listing the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, and they still use the term children there. Um, though clearly the word is sons. Um, and they even carry that over many, many times to the New Testament where they are using children of Israel when the Greek says we on Israel, which is sons of Israel, um, and, and I think it's good that they do that. I, I don't, I'm not complaining about what the King James translators did, but I'm just pointing out that even the King James translators at times chose gender-inclusive terms when they thought that it was appropriate. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26 says, For you are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The word children there is the Greek word weos. It, it, literally, it's sons. We're all sons of God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. I think every other translation I've checked with the exception of the NIV actually uses sons there instead of children. But the King James translators use, use children. It's an intentional decision on their part. It's not a bad thing. Um, they're, they're using it so they're inclusive of all people and not restricting some. But just a, a little while later, they make a different choice. Chapter 4, verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And there they translate we us as sons, whereas just a few verses earlier, they did it as children, which is telling us they, they've made an intentional choice here. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that they don't know. It's that they've decided to be inclusive in that sense. So do modern translations remove gender distinctions? Not, not really. Many of them tend toward gender-inclusive language in passages where it's clearly the spirit-intended purpose to use like he is a pronoun but applies to any person or man as in the sense of mankind or humanity. Um, and while I don't think it's generally necessary, I'd rather they didn't, I also don't think that it's uh, the issue that some people make it out to be, especially since they're following the very example of the King James translators who did the same kind of thing. Okay?